Good morning, Radius Church. Good to see you all this morning. <clears throat> Maybe we should do some push-ups, huh? <laughs> my, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> when I have my like early morning classes that I teach and I get that response, I'm like, all right, no, no, we're going to do some exercise. Um, I'm not going to do that to y'all because there's more of you than usually in my classes and I get too many complaints. So, <laughs> no, good morning. Hopefully we're going to you know, wake up as we go, but it's good to have all y'all here this morning. Uh, so we've, we've gone through uh, Christmas and the new year, and now we're going to be going back to 1 Corinthians. Um, so continue that, and Lord willing, willing, we'll be finishing 1 Corinthians up probably sometime uh, later in the summer. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open to chapter 4. That's where we left off. I'll be, I'll be starting there this morning. <clears throat> as, we, uh, as we look at this passage, what, what I'll do is I'm going to read through all of chapter 4. My section that I'll be focusing on is 14 through the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, but I'll read through chapter, beginning at verse 1 in chapter 4, just to give us some, some context um, <clears throat> and remind us kind of where we've, where we've been at. Uh, some of the things that we've looked at already, uh, Paul's addressed some of the division within the church, thinking, hey, one preacher over the other is better, and people kind of taking sides, and, and the Corinthians we find are dividing themselves, they're being divisive. Christ's church is not divided. It's all united within Jesus. Uh, he's, the, he's the center. He's the one that brings us together. And the Corinthians uh, weren't reflecting that reality. So Paul addresses some of those issues. <clears throat> and then what he's done in chapter 4 is he's kind of given us his example, the way that he's been living, and then as opposed to the way the Corinthians were living. We'll continue with that. And what we'll look at today, we'll, we'll see... Uh, Paul's, Paul's heart, his, his fatherly heart for, for his children in the faith, the Corinthians here. <clears throat> and I think uh, what we'll find uh, might surprise us, should challenge us. I want to pray to that end. I'm, just, I'm reminded of my own life and my parents. Uh, I don't know what your parents are like. All of our parents are different. Uh, I just was with my parents over Christmas break and beginning to learn more and more about them, appreciate them more, and recognize they're less perfect than I imagined. Um, you know, maybe it's the distance, because um, I haven't seen them in a little bit, that I kind of thought they were better than they are. But <clears throat> God shows us, uh, he continued, he's continues to show us, right, who our parents are. Anyway, whatever your picture is of your parents, whatever their life is like, um, they in ways reflect God and ways they don't reflect God, right? And in one way, my dad, when I was in high school and I had my girlfriend and I thought my parents were stupid and they didn't pay attention and notice things, there's this one time my dad could have laid, laid in on me pretty hard and, and laid the smack down and put the hammer down to discipline me uh, for acting foolish. And yet I remember his response. All he did was say, hey, remember I saw you doing this. And I was like, what? How did you see that? And that, that little thing that he pointed out began to convict me and open the door for me to change, right? Not out of uh, this harsh discipline. Maybe he didn't know what to do in the moment. Um, but the Lord, the Spirit of God, used my dad pointing out problems in my life with my relationship with my girlfriend, acting the way I shouldn't be acting, 
to change me. And I praise God for that. There's an opportunity for all of us. There's opportunity, as Paul's writing to the Corinthians, for them to respond or for them to wait for Paul to come and visit them and uh, lay the smack down, so to speak. So let me pray, and then we'll start reading in verse 1 through the end of the chapter. Father, we're so thankful uh, to make it to a new year. Um, I don't know what the memes are currently, but uh, we always have these mixed emotions. There are more people out running this last week than have been the last two months. Um, Exercising, that's a great thing. Uh, Lord, the the world seems like... uh, it's bright and cheery. There are new, there's a new horizon ahead of us when really only a few days have passed. The world also seems like the, the end's coming very soon and there's destruction. Lord, we need to focus rightly. We need to tune ourselves with you. And we need to do that uh, individually, spend time personally with you, <clears throat> as well as corporately together. Come before your word, listen to it. So, Lord, we we just pray for that this morning, that we would hear you, hear, hear your word to us, Lord, as we read from your scripture. Open our ears, open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, all the distractions, all the things that would stumble and block us from hearing you. May those be put to the side, or at least show them to us, so that we can do something about them through your power. We lift up this time to you and ask for you to work as only you can. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 4. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it was required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us, us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We are held in honor, but or you are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. 
We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent Timothy, sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? May the Lord bless the reading of his word to us. And Paul's sarcastic bombardment assures the Corinthians he is not writing to shame them, but because of love for them. After all, he is their father in the faith since they became believers through his ministry. Therefore, as their father calls upon them to imitate him, he sent Timothy as one who could remind them of his ways in Christ. In verse 18, Paul turns to his fundamental concern. Some of the Corinthians have become consumed with pride, and they have not considered Paul's upcoming visit. If the Lord permits, Paul intends to visit, and the power, not the vain speech, of those who oppose him will be confronted The kingdom, Paul explains, is not about words, but about power. Paul hopes to come with love and gentleness, but when he arrives, he will discipline if there is not repentance. So I kind of just walk through the passage as we go. Uh, That's kind of just an overview right there. Uh, I do not write, verse 14, 14 through 21 is our primary focus. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Paul's, what he's talking about here, I don't write these things, is what he just wrote. Look at Paul, look at the apostles, look at their lifestyle, the way they lived. These are the people that met Jesus and were radically changed. It was evidenced in their lives. They were one way, Paul Paul wasn't with the original uh, disciples, he wasn't walking with Jesus. He was actually, uh, once Jesus uh, was once Jesus died, raised from the dead, and ascended, and then all of his disciples started spreading this message of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul started persecuting those people, and Jesus chose to reach out to him. Well, the other apostles, so Paul's lifestyle, his switch is very obvious. As you read the gospels, the the apostles, the 12 disciples, it's the same way, just a little bit of a different story, because they're following Jesus, but they don't get what he's about. They don't get what he, he came to do, how he went to the cross. That was his focus. That was his goal, to be the savior of the world through the way, the foolish way of dying on a cross at the hands of the oppressors, the Romans, and even the hands of his own people who said, crucify, crucify him, right? But they saw Jesus. They met him, and they were fundamentally, radically different, powerfully different after Jesus resurrected. When they saw him, Their lives were forever changed. How was it changed? 
Did they have crowns? Did they sit on thrones? Did they have the best clothes? Did they have the fanciest cars? Did they speak? Uh, were they the best orators of the time? Were they the most popular? No. Here's what Paul writes about. He says, look, Corinthians, verse 9. He says, God has exhibited us, us apostles as last of all. Like men sentenced to death, Jesus was sentenced to death. They, they're actually following Jesus, imitating him in his way. They, we've become a spectacle, because we have a, become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. We, I'm just going to focus on the apostles here. We are weak. We are held in disrepute. We hunger and thirst are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. The Corinthians looked way more like the world than they looked like Jesus. Do you see, to follow, to imitate Jesus is to do what the apostles were doing. We want what the world has to offer, don't we? We're always so entangled with that. We want the praise. We want the glory. We want the honor. We want the fame. We want the fortune. We want the nice houses. Like, this is always a temptation, right? That's why I got to memorize God's word to, to say things like, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right? I, have to memor- I had to memorize that because I love money, right? Now, my love of money may not be like these millionaires and billionaires, but it's the same heart that needs to be killed, needs to be destroyed by the power of God within me, right? The Corinthians had the same problem. They wanted to be like the world. And Paul says, oh, look at you. You're kings. You rule. You reign. You have this. You have that. But look how God has made us apostles a spectacle for the world. We're the filth, right? We're the, we're the, uh, the septic tank. We're the sewer. Um, <clears throat> it's strong language there. You understand what it means, right? We're the crap of the world. That's what Christ has made us. The apostles, his, his apostles, and he, he says that not to shame them, but to admonish them. If Jesus chose to make us like this, and you're over here like this, there's a problem. You're not imitating me as I'm imitating Jesus, as the apostles are imitating Jesus. You see, when you look at a Christian, what you should see is Jesus. Not a perfect representation. Jesus even knows that, right? We have to confess our sins and we can be forgiven. Go read 1 John chapter 1, right? And if we say we have no sin, we're lying, right? We're lying. There's, there's provision. We're not perfect. But people should usually see Jesus, normally see Jesus in us and in the church. And if that's not there, there's a problem. You hold up Jesus when he's going to the cross the way he lived his life. You also hold up the apostles because they're imitating him and you say, does my life, does our life, does our church match that? And it, if it doesn't, there's a problem. And for the Corinthians, that wasn't there. That wasn't there. Paul talks about his connection with the Corinthians. Verse 15, for though you have countless guides in Christ, this, this word for guides is like the, kind of like the tutor, the, the one who would train uh, the child in morals and education, etc., 
It's not like our public school system, right? You've got all these kids and you've got one teacher. Here, this is like you can afford to have that one teacher with that one kid training and guiding them along the way, right? That, that uh, real diligent care. <clears throat> That's the concept. You have, you have many guides, many people who do that, who are helping you, leading you to, guiding you to follow Christ. But you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, Paul, he went to, the, he went to Corinth and he proclaimed the gospel. He actually went to the synagogue. If you go to Acts uh, chapter 18, I believe, yeah, 18. Paul went to the synagogue and it was going and proclaiming the gospel to the Jews. And the majority of the Jews rejected him. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Now, uh, I mean, we use this in church, but to be clear, right, Gentiles means nations. So you have the Jews and you have the non-Jews. Anyone who's not Jewish, you're the Gentile. You're, you're the nations, right? The Jews didn't like that. But they rejected the gospel. The gospel's for all people. Paul normally would go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles, right? And the Gentiles received this gospel message. They came to Jesus. And Paul stayed there, I believe, for a year and a, about a year and a half and ministered to them, proclaimed the word. They were his children, he saw them come to Jesus, come to the faith, and be born and be raised, starting to grow up before him. So Paul is their spiritual father. He's got this intimate connection with the Corinthians, and he's, he's displaying that full on right here as, as he's writing this passage. And really through all of Corinthians, you see his love for them. He's not content with where they are, and you see his love to admonish them, his love to care for them. Gently or forcefully, if, he, if necessary. He says in verse 16, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Be imitators of me. Paul says this later in 1 Corinthians 11, 1. Let me read a quote here. As the Corinthians' father, Paul planted the church, laying the foundation of Christ crucified. Because of Paul's love for them, he urges them to imitate him. In the, in, the imitation centers in this context on Paul's suffering as an apostle. As noted uh, in those verses that we just read, uh, 9 through 13, Paul's suffering reflects his alienation from the world. The Corinthians must sever their attraction to the world and join Paul as disciples of Jesus. I think all the apostles kind of echo this same mentality. Peter does the same thing. He starts, he starts writing, um, let me just go here. Uh, I've got part of this in my memory bank, but 1 Peter 2. And um, so have your Bibles ready, your phone ready, just to flip through if you'd like to look at the passages I turn to. I don't have, I've said just to kind of leave 1 Corinthians 4 up here. Um, Paul talks about, excuse me, Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, you'll see maybe a, a heading, Submission to Authorities, what mine has for 13 through the end of the chapter. It's a pretty helpful heading, kind of understand what, what he's talking about. All these different um, relationships and how you're to submit to them, these institutions, uh, your masters, those who you're working for, etc. And then he says this in verse 21, For to this you have been called, suffering under these, these kind of harsh realities, to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And I'll let you read the, the rest of the verses if you'd like to see how he responds. Imitate 
Imitate Jesus. Imitate the apostles. This is our calling. Right? This is what we're supposed to focus on. And you're going to suffer for following Jesus. You're going to suffer from the world. Uh, there's even going to be difficulty within God's house for doing that, right? Um, that's the reality. I think probably more of the focus is from the world in this, in this aspect, but <clears throat> that's the reality. It's difficult to follow Jesus. It's easier to not follow Jesus, except for the hand of God being on you, right? Remember how David sinned and God's hand was heavy upon him day and night? The Spirit of God will convict you and, and, and Lord willing, you break not become callous. Because I don't know about you, I've seen too many men, and I, I, this, I can do the same thing. I've seen too many men, I've grown up in the church, too many men, that like I said, that's a godly man, I love that man, I appreciate that man, that's a godly example right there, who became callous to the word of God because of their sin, and they chose to prefer sin over obedience to Christ. So they disregarded the spirit, and they began to say, well, you know, I don't think the word of God is actually the word of God. I think men corrupted it. No, you're just trying to make an excuse for yourself to go and do whatever you want to do. God will judge you, brother, sister. God will judge you. Right now, we want to follow Christ. This is Paul's heart. Follow Jesus. Turn to him. Paul's saying to the Corinthians, I'm your father in the faith. I urge you, imitate me. Verse 17. That is why I sent Timothy to you. My beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Timothy, I'll turn to 2 Timothy 3. Another child, a spiritual child of Paul, as the Corinthians are. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, in verse, starting in verse 10. He was faithful. And he's following after Paul. Paul writes this. This is probably Paul's last letter that we have in Scripture. Um, this is probably written last. It says, verse 10, You, however, have followed my teaching. He's writing to Timothy. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured Yet from, the, from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Timothy, this is, a, this is an intimate letter. You should, you should read that. Um, I'm going to read that on your own time. not going to read it today. But Paul, like, very lovingly writes to Timothy and urges him to follow after Christ. And you see in that, in that book, there's a temptation to disassociate with Paul because Paul's in chains for the gospel. Paul says, Timothy, don't, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. And what we just read tells us that Timothy's been following Paul. He's not always been with him, but he has been with him. And he's living according to Paul's example. And when he's, when he's uh, not with Paul, he knows what's going on with Paul. Paul. Paul was persecuted, what he faced, what he endured. And Timothy is okay to associate with Paul to say, that's my spiritual father. right? He follows Christ and I follow Christ with him. So Paul knows Timothy. He knows he's faithful. He knows what he's been through. He knows that he can send him to Corinth ahead of Paul's visit to, to check them out, to get them ready. So Paul sends Timothy, his beloved child in the faith, ahead of him. You see how he, he loves the Corinthians? 
Paul, if he could just go and visit and say, I'm just going to show up and I'm going to catch you in the act. I'm not giving you any warning. I'm going I'm I'm to lay the smack down on you because of what you're doing. No, he writes them a letter and he sends them Timothy ahead to let them respond, to let them turn from their ways. That's how God is with all of us. He's gracious. He's patient. Do you know grace actually enables change in your life? Now, grace doesn't always mean you can get away with everything you want to get away with, right? Uh, There are a lot of different aspects to grace that I don't even know myself. But think about your life again and again, how God showed you kindness, how he was gentle with you, how he sent a Timothy, how he wrote you a letter metaphorically, right? And it was that thing that let you respond, that let you repent. You turned from your ways and turned to him. For Paul, instruction in how to live the Christian life is accompanied by modeling. Paul's teaching isn't abstract without lived out examples of what it means to follow Christ. That's why he chooses Timothy as an example. There's a connection between the kingdom and the cross, according to this passage. The power of the kingdom is represented through the cross of Jesus Christ. Such that the new age has dawned. God's kingdom promises have been inaugurated in Jesus' death and resurrection. Keep reading with me, verse 18. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. Pride and arrogance, pride and or arrogance, they have no place in the church. Paul already addressed this issue in the first chapter. If you go to chapter 1, verse 26. Paul says this, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that this is the focus, right? Right. Sometimes I think I could read that passage and build myself up. Here's the focus. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We we want, to, we want to find something to boast about, something to brag about, right? To be proud and arrogant about. And usually the focus is us, like whether very clearly directly or indirectly by association. We want to turn it to everyone to, to focus on us, to have the attention on us. God says, no, that's been destroyed. The wisdom of the world, the power of the world, all that's been destroyed. You want to see God's wisdom, you want to see God's might, it's the cross of Christ. That's very foolish in the eyes of the world to send a Savior to die, to be humiliated, to go to a cross, to shed his blood. Is there power there? Yes. Not man's power. Not the power that you've been raised to pursue, to think about, but the power of God that changes lives. The power of God that is subservient to the rulers of this world. The power of God that is building 
the kingdom of God in our midst even now. So when we look at somebody like Paul and he suffers for Jesus, does he revile? Does he threaten? No, he endures those sufferings. And by the grace of God, people might turn to Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. He endured suffering on the cross. He didn't threaten. He didn't revile. He trusted God the whole time, all the way to death. That's, that's what we fall. That's powerful. Right? That's the power of God demonstrated. 1 Corinthians 13.4 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. This word here in chapter 8, uh, first, excuse me, verse 18, is the same word used there. That's 1 Corinthians 13.4. It means essentially uh, being, to be puffed up. The passive, which is here in the text, expresses the idea of thinking excessively highly of oneself. That sounds like the initiator of sin, who brought sin into the created universe, doesn't it? Satan, I will ascend. I will raise my throne. I will be like the Most High. I, I, I. It's all the focus is on, was on him. When we have pride, we reflect that same mentality. All the focus is on us. We think excessively highly of ourselves. Paul writes in Romans 12, starting in verse 1, says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. The Corinthians are having that problem. We have that problem. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the test, by that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And all we need to do is go back to Jesus to, to destroy this, right? To put that flame out. I don't care how small, how big it is. You go to Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, he's God in the flesh, he humbled himself. He went to a cross. He came to a people who rejected him. I mean, our Christmas messages, like people uh, who, who don't know Jesus, who aren't Jewish, who aren't looking for the Messiah, are looking for the Messiah, right? And they're coming to worship him. When the people who should be coming to worship him aren't there. And then Jesus, he's, as he lives his life, as he gets baptized and begins his public ministry, like there are very few Jews that turn to him. Do, Jews do turn to him, but at large, his people reject him. And even his own disciples flee when Judas comes to betray him, right? Not everyone's gone, but the vast majority are gone. Look at Jesus. He endured that. He suffered. He didn't take his God power and start beating people across the face and sending them to hell immediately for hurting him, for sending him to the cross, for choosing to crucify him and release a murderer, an insurrectionist. No, he's on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's power. That changes people. We don't change people. We point out behavior and say, change. You should be ashamed. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. No, it's the subversive power of Christ that steps in and transforms us as we see his example. So when we wrestle with things like this, pride, arrogance, 
Jesus will destroy that if you will turn to him, if you will look at him, if you will come to his cross and lay yourself prostrate down, whether physically or actually or metaphorically. Verse 19 and 20. Verses 19 and 20. Paul says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. We got to pause there. Paul has a good ambition for the Corinthians to see them change, to admonish them, to give them opportunity to repent, and if not, to show up and, and show his power, show his love for them, and put the rod down. But he puts all of his plans before God. If the Lord wills. Here's another example. Jesus, do you remember how Jesus was in the garden? Lord, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. Paul has the right desire to see the Corinthians follow Christ and not the world. And he'll do whatever is necessary in the power of God. But, but even that good desire is put before the Lord. It's not up to Paul. God sends Paul where he will. Sometimes Paul would go somewhere and God would say, no, you're not going to go there. Other times Paul would, God would say, okay, go over here. God, would, God directed him. He directs you and he directs me. Are we obeying? Are we submitting our will, our plans before God? They should be all plans, right? This is an encouragement, exhortation to all of us. It's kind of subtle, but it's there. I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Paul's opponents at Corinth may be good talkers, but can they show power? The gospel does not simply tell people what they ought to do. In it, God gives them power to do it. It does not matter, matter whether Paul's opponents can speak well, but it does matter whether the people of God is manifest, excuse me, whether the power of God is manifest in them. God chose to lift up Paul, I've been saying this, right? And to be an example, to imitate. The power of Paul's message was seen in his life. He states this in 1 Corinthians earlier in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He also writes in 1 Corinthians 1.5, our gospel, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians, I caught it, uh, 1.5, our gospel came, not, came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. These, these words for power uh, and word are also uh, written elsewhere. 1 Corinthians 1.18, this is probably one of the most notable ones. It says, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's the same words. The word and power, those are the exact same words that are written here as Paul's writing to the Corinthians. I will find out not the talk, not the, the word of these arrogant people, but their power. The word of the cross 
That's where the power of God is displayed. That's what changes our lives. One commentator wrote this. says, there's a tremendous amount of pretense among professing Christians. They pretend to a piety that they do not possess and a devotedness that is not genuine. So Paul would find out whether the power of God was working in the Corinthians' lives or whether it was just bravado and conceit that led them to justify themselves. He would inquire not only about the talk of their lips, but also about the behavior that characterized them. Mere lip profession is not enough. The power of the Holy Spirit must be demonstrated in the life. You could look at Paul's life. You could look at the apostles' lives, and you could see the power of God working in them. When I read the Gospels, when I read Acts, when I read through the New Testament, it's evident. It's evident. And you know what so, what so often happens? God puts up the example that's written there. Jesus is the example, and they're following that example. They're imitating. Clear imitation of Jesus. And God says, how are you doing? He says, you're not imitating. He says, imitate. Confess, you'll be forgiven. And imitate. The power of God is at your disposal through faith in Christ. Do I trust Christ to save me, deliver me from the troubles of my day, from my own sin? Yes, each and every day. He helps me. Each and every day. All we need to do is turn to him. Turn to him. When we turn to ourselves, there's going to be pride. There's going to be arrogance because we are on display. When we turn to Jesus, we're now showing that we need him, that he's a great savior, that he's powerful to change. And that's what Paul did. And Paul's life example is very powerful because he was persecuting Jesus. He was pursuing that head on, thinking this is right. And God stopped him. God stopped him in his tracks. It's not about what we say, merely. What we, what we say should match the way we live. What we say should match the way we live. If you want to see the power, look at the person's life. Look at their life. If you don't have the life of Christ reflected in your life, you can. You can. We all fail in many ways, and the power of God through the cross of Christ is there for us today. It's there for us today. Praise God for that power. <clears throat> for Jesus, he put up with us, right? He's on the cross. He knew exactly what we would be doing, exactly how the Corinthians would be behaving, exactly how Radius Church would be behaving, exactly how Reagan would be behaving. And he said, I'm going to die for them, and I'm going to pay for that sin. I'm going to change them from within. Verse 21, <clears throat> what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Some commentators note that this rod is the Old Testament wisdom, uh, is, is evidence in Old Testament wisdom, namely in the Proverbs, where a father drives out folly from the heart of his child. I think that's a pretty clear illustration. Again, we must say, pride has no place in Jesus' kingdom. He trains us to trust him instead of ourselves. He is the most high and he willingly humbled himself by dying on the cross for proud people like us. Do you have God's power? If so, 
godliness and humility will characterize your life. The rod is intended to drive out what shouldn't be there in the first place. Let's make that clear, right? I know we all got, some of us got whoopings. If you didn't get a whooping growing up, we're going to pray for you. Some of us got more, some of us got less, okay? And, you know, we all know it's kind of there. And it's a different world than when I was growing up. My parents told me it was a different world from when I was growing up than when they were growing up. So it's, it's changing. I know it's changing, right? The rod is meant for good, though. It's always meant for good. The person, God behind the rod, the, God as a disciplinarian is a loving heavenly father. Hebrews 12, 10, second part of verse 10 and through 11 says this. He disciplines us. Excuse me. He disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. We know that, right? Parents, you know that. Uh, And all of us are children in some regard, and we know that, right? We can remember. It seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's the intention. This is what God does with the rod. That's what Paul wants to do with the rod. Now you have bad examples. How discipline can be abused. That's never how God does it for his children. It's always for good. It's always for good. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have his discipline. The wrath of God is waiting Judgment will come. There will be condemnation because you haven't trusted in the one who was condemned for you. But if you're his child, there is no condemnation. There's discipline to train you for righteousness. And God always does it the right way. But there's no condemnation because Christ bore that for you, right? Receive Jesus. Let him take your condemnation and don't bear it yourself. Turn to him. If you're his child, don't be led away by the lie that you are condemned, that he's somehow out to get you. No, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he gives people hearts. He's given, if you're still connected to your spiritual parents, them a heart, Lord willing, to to help you turn to Christ. We see this very clearly, perfectly, like Jesus, in the example of Paul here to the Corinthians. Should I come with a rod? Or, or with love and a spirit of gentleness. Holiness and righteousness are the goal. God wants to drive sin, drive foolishness, worldliness away from us. In this context, Paul focuses on driving out pride. As we keep studying 1 Corinthians, we'll see other sins that need to be driven out of the church that have no place, that should never be there, uh, not even seen in the world, right? We don't want to be disciplined. None of us want to be disciplined. But let's think about this. We do want to be the disciplinarian, don't we? Or at least we want to see others disciplined or condemned or judged. We can insert, it's kind of a broad, the broad meaning is what I intend here. We read a passage like this and say, this person needs the rod or that person deserves what they have coming to them. Let's pause and reflect. What about you? What about me? I want to lay the smack down on someone else. But am I equally ambitious to receive the smackdown myself? Right? Got to think about that. We've got to assess that. Before I can rightly, before we can rightly yield the rod 
to try to help someone correct them, guide them in Christ, as Paul did. We need to demonstrate a life that is full of the power of the Spirit. Pride, arrogance are gone. The life that looks like someone who is following Jesus, the Savior, who went to the cross, is pretty clearly demonstrated, I think, by the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. It's his Spirit-empowered life, not a life that's clearly evidenced by the works of the flesh. Go read Galatians chapter 5 to see those. Paul recognizes his forgiveness, how he's, he's gone to the cross of Christ, and he's going from that place as he addresses the Corinthians. And from that place, he's like, this will not be okay. Your sin, your pride, your arrogance must be demolished. Your sexual sin, the way you interact with one another around the Lord's table, all these other issues that they have must, must be dealt with. But it's from the place of the cross, not from a place of pride, arrogance, worldliness. It's from the spirit of God, not from merely man. So Paul urges the Corinthians as a father. He is stern, but he's compassionate. A loving spiritual father won't be content until he sees his children mature in Christ. Maybe a few more things and we'll be done. Or one more thing. While the issues that Paul addresses are a few specific ones, uh, I want to kind of talk a little more broadly about this topic, uh, or generally. Are we showing the power of the Spirit in our lives? If so, then our lives will look like Paul's because we are imitating Jesus, and we are called to imitate Paul as he did Christ. Let's go again to verses, uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced uh, to death. We have become a spectacle to the world, to angels, to men. I'm focusing not on the Corinthians, but on, on the apostles. We are foolish for Christ's sake. We are weak. We are held in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. And, and I think this, this is the part for me that, like where, it, where it turns, it becomes very obvious. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. God's power is evident at the cross. And the power of the cross is evident in the apostles' lives. Do you have God's power? Does your life at home, at work, and in your relationships point people to Jesus? Or do they showcase worldly responses, such as thinking too highly of yourself? Again, the lists in First Corinthians, Galatians, excuse me, Galatians 5 are helpful. You see, if we believe the gospel, we recognize our standing before God. We can't be right before God apart from, the, from Jesus Christ. Why is it then that so often we always make ourselves out to be right. That's the way this, we tell the story, right? We're always the hero. The other people are always the problem. We always know best. That's the way pride works. Jesus isn't full of pride. He rightly knows who he is, and he was humble, and he went to the cross. Paul knows who he is. He knows who he was, and he knows whose he is presently. And they're clearly demonstrating God's power, right? God chose to lift up Paul as an example to be imitated. 
Paul's power and message are seen in his life. Do you have God's power? If so, then godliness and humility will characterize your life. And if, if you're here and you're like, I don't, ask God to lovingly and gently show you if you are in need of his discipline. Maybe you're brave and you'll say, God, give me the rod. I need it. I can't see it. I'm going to leave that prayer up to you, brother or sister. Anything that is not from him has no place in his kingdom. And if it has no place in his kingdom, you can be sure that it's not supposed to be in Jesus' church. Let's close in prayer. Father, your word tells us, we read that, that Jesus revealed you to us. If we've seen him, we've seen you. I pray that each and every one of us here know you. And if not, your word also says today is the day of salvation. There's the offer. Turn to Jesus. You are a loving heavenly father. You sent your son. And not abusively. Your scripture is clear. He went willingly. The scripture says he loved us and gave himself up for us again and again and again. Thank you for that. You are good. You are loving. And you, when you discipline your children, Lord God, you do it for our good, that the image of Christ might be formed in us because the image of the world, sin, foolishness, pride, arrogance, worldliness, all these things, they have no place in your presence. They have no place in your kingdom. They have no place in Jesus' church. They must be destroyed. And although it's difficult and it's unpleasant for your children to be, to be disciplined, it shows the legitimacy of who we belong to. We belong to you. And when we look back on how you discipline us and you change us, we love it. Because we don't want to look like the world. We don't want to walk in sin. We want to look like your son. We want to be getting ready now for our eternity. And Lord, it's also your desire, such a good father, your creator of all people, you desire for them to come to you. They don't know you already. To come, to turn to you, they're still alive. They still have opportunity to repent. None of us deserve repentance. But you're such a good God that you offer it to us. So we see clearly echoed here, Lord, in your word from Paul. There's an opportunity for the Corinthians to turn from their ways. As Paul wrote this letter, and as he sent Timothy, Lord, open our eyes to your word that we might turn from our ways and turn to you. Open our eyes, Lord, by using people in our lives like Timothy to turn us. And if it still lingers, if we, we still won't, Lord, in your grace, send us a Paul. Speak to us, guide us, direct us, Lord, that we might respond to you. Thank you for your word. May you continue to purify us, purify your church, discipline us, mold us, shape us. We can't do that with ourselves. We try to to shape the spiritual lives of our brothers and sisters and other people, and or we fail. You don't. So we're just asking you to do the work that you desire to do and that we can praise and honor and glorify you as we see you at work in our midst. Lord, as you change us, we would stand up and say, I was doing this thing, and God broke my spirit. He changed my heart. 
lift these things up to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.